Let's stand for prayer this morning. Richard, would you pray for us? And thank you. you. may be seated unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary. I'd like to recognize you. Well, amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you here with us. A um, few things from the bulletin as we start. We have the couples retreat coming up February 15th, 16th, 16th, 17th. Uh, each couple needs to register online, and uh, that information is there in the bulletin. And then if you're going, if you would sign up our sign-up sheet, that way we'd know uh, it would really be uh, helpful to us. Ladies meeting coming up February 22nd at 6 o'clock here at the church. Uh, ladies, hopefully you can plan to be here for that. Teen activity is planned uh, for February 23rd. Uh, the teens are going to the Urban Air Trampoline Park. Sounds like a great time. Going to meet here at 5.30, cost us $30 a piece. Uh, missions conference coming up February 28th through March the 3rd. Uh, excited about having the grits, missionaries we supported forever. Uh, by that I mean before I even got here. Uh, the Carters uh, headed to Portugal, uh, brand new, and brand new the Sedellas uh, going to the Czech Republic, and so excited about having uh, these missionaries with us. College days going to be March 20th through the 22nd, and uh, if your teen's interested in being a part of that, you can talk to uh, Brother Lalo. I know he'd be glad to help you there. Uh, from our prayer area here, I ask that you remember to pray for all these that are listed and then uh, if you have a pencil, you might add uh, Glenda Bush and Marty Bush. Uh, Glenda is in the hospital down at Wesley in Wichita. Um, they have determined she has a mass uh, in her stomach. Um, they have done a few things uh, this last week. Uh, they've put a, a like a, a shunt in to bleed off some of the bile and stuff and then uh, they're going to start on some chemo this next week. They're doing a biopsy on Thursday and just some stuff like this. And then they're going to give her chemo to try to shrink uh, the tumor and then do some surgery. And so if you would be praying for Miss Glenda. And then Marty had a wreck uh, on Tuesday and totaled out their car and uh, totaled out a semi in the process too. So, well, the semi had to be towed away. Let's put it that way. And uh, he broke the small bone uh, that attaches to his wrist, so they'll have to be putting plates and screws and all that in. And hopefully sometime this week he can meet with a doctor about that. And so if you would be praying for them. And then I heard that the Saltzes were on their way home. They had stopped down to be a blessing uh, to the Bushes. They were headed home Friday and uh, were involved in an accident. Uh, totally uh, demol or demolished their car where they couldn't drive it. And so... Uh, if you'd pray for them, and uh, I know that they would appreciate your prayers. It's good to be in the Lord's house. Good to have you here. Thankful for a little bit of rain. Wish it was white, but it's red, or just clear, so uh, we'll, we'll take the rain. Good to be in the Lord's house today. Going to have Brother Foster come back, lead us in another song, and then we'll get to our Sunday school time. Lord bless. Let's stand once again. We'll sing hymn number 30, Nothing But the Blood, first and the last verses of hymn number 30. I can 
time you can be dismissed to your Sunday school classes. Class, we're in lesson number eight this morning. If you need that handout, we have those coming in here momentarily. All right, he's in the door. If you raise your hand, if you need one, he'll get that to you. You can be turning in your Bibles to Esther, chapter number nine, and we'll be in chapter number ten as well this morning. All right, this uh, lesson is titled, Deciding to Remember, and we kind of hit on this last week a little bit, and it just continues on here as we end out uh, this book in Esther, and let's uh, begin reading here in Esther chapter 9 and verse 27, then we'll read down through the end of the book in chapter 10 and verse 3. It says, The Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, and that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew wrote with all authority, to confirm this second letter of Purim. And he sent the letters unto all the Jews to the hundred twenty and seven provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth, to confirm these days of Purim and their times appointed according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them. And as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of the fastings and their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea. And all the acts of his power and of his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto the king Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. So we see this time of great celebration here that's been appointed, celebration of what God has done. And today, uh, what we celebrate, whether by the emphasis we place on the holiday or the way we respond uh, to incidental life happenings, says a lot about what we value. In today's politically correct environment where you have to be so careful <laughs> or try to be careful or maybe you don't want to be careful, some things we don't need to be careful about. If it's the Word of God, then we need to stand up for it. So where you try to, try to be careful to keep from offering or offending anyone, we might ha all have to give reports like this fourth grader gave. He gave a report that said this, The pilgrims came here seeking freedom of you-know-what, 
When they landed, they gave thanks to you-know-who. Because of them, we can worship each Sunday, you-know-where. I'm thankful that we can stand up for the Lord. And here the Jews, they're taking a stand for what the Lord has done in their life, standing, taking a stand for the great goodness of God. And, and they want to remember that, and they want this to be passed down to generations to come. Celebrations are one way that we teach the next generation what is important to us. So let's think about what we commemorate, what we celebrate in our lives today as we consider this lesson. So throughout the, these lessons, the series of lessons that we've looked at, over the past several weeks, uh, we followed the story of Esther and seen God's sovereign, his sovereignty, his hand at work in and through her life, as well as in the life of Mordecai and the Jews as well. We've seen how God brought an orphaned young Jewish woman to become a queen of Persia and to be in a position to save her people from destruction. We've also seen that Esther's courage to put her life on the line then uh, allowed God to show up powerfully and intervene for uh, her and on behalf of the Jews. And it proved to be, um, God proved himself faithful to his people, as he always does. And he proves himself faithful to us over and over. And it's wise and it's good for us to remember the things that God has done, uh, that we can draw from that faith and have courage in the Lord. As we looked last week, uh, we saw that, after the Jews experienced God's deliverance, that Mordecai wrote this decree to establish a holiday commemorating the defeat of Haman and the deliverance of God for his people. And this holiday was to be a time of remembrance and instruction for future generations. It was so important to them, and it, and it was such a celebration, a time of great gratefulness and, and thankfulness to God for what he had done, that they wanted the generations to come to remember this act. This, how God intervened on their behalf. Uh, so they wanted to make sure that it was commemorated and that it was remembered that the, uh, the generations to come would know of the goodness of God. So our human nature is to forget. And that, boy, we're, <laughs> I'm sure as many of us could attest, uh, the older we get, the easier it is to forget things. Um, but just think about uh, things that go on in our life. Now, uh, one thing that comes to my mind is uh, 9-11. And, you know, when that first happened, the, the first few years after that, boy, we, we were strong about coming together and uniting it for uh, the United States and for, for what was done to us and then coming together and, and uniting uh, strong against uh, those foes that would oppose us. Uh, but as the years go on, I would, I would say that maybe our passion isn't as much as it was the day that it happened or the few days after or even the year after it happened. Uh, those things tend to wane, and, and the Jews didn't want this to happen. Uh, for what God had done here. And they wanted to make sure that the people remembered uh, with such uh, great passion as they had for this uh, time in their life. So forgetting the great works of God is a tragedy. It is especially tragic when Christians forget the blessings, the benefits and deliverance that we have received through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, through His salvation. Mordecai established this holiday of Purim specifically because he did not want future generations of the Jews to forget what God had done. In fact, to this day, the Jewish people celebrate Purim. They read the story of Esther, and for the story to continue to be known, it must continue to be told. So they continue to tell the story. In this final week of our study on Esther, we will look at the celebration of Mordecai and Esther uh, that they established and set three important truths regarding the decision to remember the great works of God. So as God works in our life, we need to remember those things. And there's three ways in which we can uh, set forth to do this. 
First of all, we see there was an ordained decision. An ordained decision. When Mordecai issued this decree to celebrate this feast of Purim, he did not want the celebration to be a mere family tradition, uh, but that could easily be forgotten. But he wanted to make it an official holiday. We saw that in verse number 27 of the text that we read. He made it an official holiday, making sure that the nation remembered this day. So, as an ordained decision, it was comprehensive. Notice the phrase at the beginning of verse 27. The Jews ordained. To ordain something means to confirm, to ratify, or to establish it. This became an established decree to be practiced two days each year of the month of March, which is the Jewish month Adar. This was also a holiday for all future Jewish generations and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail. So as it is, as they celebrate this, it's their uh, modern Jewish tradition, a Purim, to eat imitation cookies, uh, and I think we have a picture here of those. These three-cornered jelly-filled cookies are supposed to be representative of Haman's hat, the hat that he wore. So this feast was for all the Jews and for all the future generations to be reminded of God's deliverance and preservation of His people. So Mordecai recognized that future Jewish children needed to hear that their parents gave thanks to God for saving them. In the same way, our children need to hear us praise God. Uh, they need to hear us praising the Lord for what He's done and His faithfulness to us. This is good to encourage them and to strengthen them and to uh, help them to understand that they need to place their faith and trust in God and, and uh, allow Him to guide their path and direct them and understanding that He's a faithful God and that He will never fail. So this was a comprehensive uh, time of celebration. Not only was it comprehensive, but it was written. Verse 27 tells us that this decree was put into writing to keep it preserved. As the second in command of the Persian Empire, Mordecai's first written decree was this very one, a decree that informed Israel of this celebration of deliverance. So there's a tremendous value in keeping written records. I know that, uh, as I spoke earlier, it's easy to forget things, and if we don't write them down, we can easily forget. So they wanted written record of what was to be done, how, was, how this feast was to be performed, and what it was in recognition of. So it was comprehensive, it was written, but it was memorialized. Mordecai's decree was comprehensive and written, and it has been remembered since that historic day, even to this day. It was memorialized according to their appointed time every year. Purim became an annual celebration full of giving to the needy and fellowshipping with friends and family. Just as uh, we celebrate wedding anniversaries and our children's birthdays, they remind us of the day that we got married or the day that our children joined our families. This holiday reminded the Jews uh, of the day that God delivered them. And there are some events in our lives that uh, we need to decide to remember. The greatest event, obviously, would be the day that we got saved. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. No doubt the greatest day of our life is the day that we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we certainly should remember that. And hopefully many of you have written down uh, that information, maybe in your Bible or somewhere else, of the day that you got saved, and maybe the events of that day, and how God was burdening your soul uh, for your sinful condition. 
Those things are good to remember. It's good for us to go back and to uh, maybe read that written record just to remind us of how God saved us from uh, the state that we were in and on a a path towards hell. And now He saved us by His grace and now we're on a path towards heaven. Forgetfulness is easy, but if we want our posterity to know about God, we must purpose to remember and to remind our children and grandchildren of all that the Lord has done. Warren Wearsby said this, It is sad when a nation or a church forgets its heroes and the providential events that have kept it alive. How easy it is for a new generation to come along and take for granted the blessings that previous generations struggled and sacrificed to attain. The Jews didn't make that mistake, but established a feast of Purim to remind their children year after year that God had saved Israel from destruction. We ought to be reminded that uh, what we enjoy today is uh, being able to freely worship as has been paid in the past by those that were willing to give of their lives, willing to pay the price that we might have these freedoms. And then we think of our, our, our Baptist ancestors and those that uh, were martyred for the cause of Christ. And we think of Stephen in the New Testament, martyred for the cause of Christ. They were willing to stand up for what they knew was right. And we uh, enjoy those freedoms today. And we enjoy um, what they have paid so high a price for. And we're, we ought to be thankful and we ought to remember those. We ought to remember what Jesus Christ did for us in saving us on Calvary's cross. To our children and grandchildren, they need to know God. That's their greatest need. And we must tell them about Him, and we must celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 11 says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So there are many reasons that uh, we would have traditions, and there are May have been many traditions that have come and gone and they fade away. Author Randy Mazzelli uh, gives several reasons, the last one being the joy once brought has faded. So the joy of the moment, or maybe, uh, maybe all the details have not been passed down as they should have been. But as Christians, if we want to pass down important biblical traditions, we should do, not do them monotonously or out of drudgery, We must demonstrate for our children the joy of those traditions and the joy of remembering God's goodness. So as we see Mordecai's decree, it was an ordained decision. and It was established, it was ratified, it was memorialized. But let's notice also it was a decision that preserved good traditions. So it was a rehearsed decision. From the inception of this holiday, the Jews purposed that it would be celebrated by all generations. They wanted all generations to know. They desired no end to this celebration. We see this in verse number 28. So it was perpetual. As we see our culture in America trying to distance itself from Christian beginnings, uh, there is an increasing distaste for tradition. Often there is a sense that traditions tie us down and limit new creative expressions. It's important to understand that traditions are important when the traditions, get this, are connected with biblical truth. They need to be grounded in biblical truth. So 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says this, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So we need to make a distinction here. We need to make a distinction between tradition and traditionalism. Tradition is preserving the truths, the victories, 
the shared history passed down over generations. In the Christian sense, it is the commitment to continuing in the path of the first century New Testament Christianity. The Christianity that Jesus Christ himself established as he came to this earth to establish the local New Testament church. And he established how it should operate, how it should function, and the beliefs that it should uh, hold to. So that's the tradition that we want to claim and that we want to hold fast to and that we want to hold up and present to future generations. Then let's look at traditionalism. It is simply empty ritualism. It is doing things just because they have always been done that way. Even when they are unattached from the possibility, even in opposition to their original purpose. There's uh, several stories that we could give in association to this, but this one here is an interesting one. The story is told of two newlyweds who were preparing to enjoy their first ham in their new apartment. After unwrapping the meat and setting it on the cutting board, the wife chopped off both ends of the ham with a butcher knife, tossing the small ends in the garbage can. The husband said, wait a minute, uh, he was mystified by this behavior. Why did you do that? Why did you just cut off the ends of the ham like that? I don't know. My mother always did, answered the wife. Maybe it helps bring out the flavor. Unsatisfied with this answer, the husband called his mother-in-law. Can you tell me why you cut the two ends off of the ham? Well, said the mother, I really am not sure. That's just the way my mother did it. <laughs> and it was always delicious. As soon as he hung up the phone, he called his wife's grandmother. Grandma, we have an important question for you. Can you tell me why you cut off both ends of the ham before you cook it? Oh my, yes, dear, answered Grandma in her quiet, thin voice. I cut the ends of the ham off so it would fit in my pan. <laughs> so there's an example of traditionalism, doing it because it's just always been done that way, but it's really not grounded in any, any truth. Uh, so biblical traditions are important to preserve. We must preserve what Jesus Christ has established for us in the Word of God. We must stand firm on those things. The problem comes when we allow biblical traditions to turn into traditionalism. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. You know, Simons, uh, a man who became one of the forefathers of the Anabaptists, was born in the Holy Roman Empire and entered monastic school to become a priest. However, before beginning his, tr his training, he had never read the Bible for himself. Now, that's interesting. He'd never read the Bible, but he wanted to be a monk. I feared if I should read the Scriptures, they would mislead me. <laughs> what warped thinking. While training for the priesthood, he inwardly struggled with the bread and the wine he took each week for Mass. Taught that the bread and wine transubstantiated into Christ's body and blood, Mino Simons uh, doubted the validity of the strongly held Catholic teaching. This inward struggle created a crisis of faith for the young student. At first, Simons convinced himself that his secret doubts were only mind tricks of the devil. He prayed for God to deliver him from these thoughts. Instead, the Lord led Simons to the Bible. Simons began reading directly from the New Testament. Not long after studying the Scriptures for himself, he said, I discovered that we were deceived, and my conscience troubled on account of the aforementioned bread was quickly relieved. So traditionalism steeped in man-made teachings without backing from Scripture. Traditionalism leads to confusion and anxiety as followers attempt to practice a teaching that does not make sense to them. 
Biblical tradition, however, includes regular practices that are taught from the Bible, such as church attendance, preaching, tithing, and giving, observing the Lord's Supper, and many more. These are biblical truths, biblical tradition that we should uphold and that we should observe. On a non-scriptural level, individual churches or families and even individuals may set in place traditions that remind them of God's goodness in their lives. So as God works in our lives, as we see victories in our life, we should remember those things. Those are good things to remember and, and maybe set a tradition of remembrance for those things. For instance, our, uh, we have a church anniversary here that we celebrate every year. That's a good thing to celebrate, to remember that God has established a church for us to be a part of and to, to come together that we might worship God and celebrate His faithfulness to us and the, the power of the gospel that goes forth from this pulpit and from this place as we endeavor to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. We have traditions in our family maybe around Thanksgiving and Christmas, things that we do. And we think of Thanksgiving where we, uh, we would set aside time to thank God for His goodness and maybe go around the room and ask each person what they're thankful for. These are good things uh, to remind us of the goodness of God. They provide continuity and shared experiences across the generations. And they, they reaffirm to one another just how good God is. And it shares to the next generation as they look to us as an example uh, to share with them how God's provided for us and how God has delivered us and how God has given us victories. They give a sense of, uh, of family identity and in our case uh, that are centered around the Lord. So we ought to make sure that our traditions are centered around the Lord and, and the goodness that He has exhibited to us. So it's perpetual, but it's also particular. Not only was the Feast of Purim to be celebrated perpetually for all future generations, but Mordecai particularly noted that every family, every province, and every city was to keep this special day. He wanted to make sure everyone knew. So this celebration was to begin in the home with each family. Now, we must understand this, and I believe we do, that parents, uh, we are the greatest influence that our children have. And we ought to be affecting them for the cause of Christ. And we ought to be exhibiting before them uh, God's faithfulness to us and sharing that with them. So what you do to celebrate, or on the other hand, to ignore, a special day will have an impact on your children. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6 and 7, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt seek of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You know, every day is an opportunity to teach about Jesus Christ, about the Word of God, and about the truth. Boy, there's uh, adversaries all around us, and there are things that are opposing God and the work that He's trying to do in the lives of individuals. So there are teaching moments every day. If you'll just look for them, and you'll take the opportunity to teach and, and to share truths from the Word of God with your children. There's a bivocational pastor who worked at a feed processing plant in Ohio to provide for his wife and sons. Each day he came home from work and his sons noted how dusty he was. One day while he was working outside a home, he saw his four-year-old son picking up stones and rubbing them on his pants and to get dirt on them. The father asked why the boy was doing this. The child replied, I want to be dusty like you, Dad. 
The father realized that day how much his sons were looking at his example. And he shared at that time, I realized that if, if a son would look up to his father for being dusty, he would look up to a dad for anything. And he realized what a responsibility he had. We do have a tremendous responsibility to train and to rear our children for the Lord, to make sure that we're setting the right example for them. For this Feast of Purim to be perpetuated, the individual families had to prioritize the holiday in their own homes. This was a holiday for every Jewish family in every place the Jews lived. So Purim was a particular holiday that was to be celebrated perpetually. Notice that it was also an official day of celebration. The proclamation to celebrate the Jews' deliverance was an official decree with all authority to confirm, to confirm Purim, a permanent feast of the Jewish nation. We saw this in verses 29 through 32, where the decree was made and confirmed uh, by both Esther and Mordecai, and it was written in a book. So this decree was sent to all 127 provinces for all the Jews to hear and to know the commemoration was to remember God's provision through the Jews fasting and praying for deliverance, and the decree was confirmed and written in the book. And as Christians, we also have an entire book that's been written to us. God has given it to us, and we ought to keep and to pass it down to our children and to our children's children, the importance and, and to un help them understand that this book that we hold in our hands is precious. And it's God's letter, His love letter to us, to be passed down from generation to generation. Imagine what could happen if one generation fails to pass on the Word of God to the next. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do, that we may do all the words of His law. And then, couple verses you're more familiar with, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And what is, what is He doing? What is His purpose behind giving us the Word of God? It is profitable for doctrine. Those things that we hold to, those traditions, if you will, that we must hold to, those things that are biblical truth, are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, in righteousness. And I don't know about you, but I need those things every day of my life. I need that constant reminder, the constant instruction from the Word of God of how I ought to live and the things that ought to be uh, gotten rid of from my life. Those things are constant reminders that God has given us in His Word that we might know how to live for Him. For what purpose? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And this is God's desire for every Christian that they would live according to His Word that they would be fulfilling His good works in their lives. So this decision to remember the deliverance of God every year through the Feast of Purim was ordained. It was rehearsed, and it was carried out by the Jews. It's been a sustained decision. So we've discussed... There you go, you can see Esther's scroll if you'd like. So we've discussed uh, how important it is to remember what God has done, but how do you do that? How do we go about remembering those things that God has done? How is a celebration like Purim sustained? Well, first of all, we must understand that leadership is established. The first step to a sustained decision is to establish godly leaders. In verses 1 through 3, we see this happen in Esther chapter 10. 
that the king of Hasherah laid tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea. So Mordecai made a decree, but king Ahasuerus also admonished this decree, and he made a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of his power and of his might, and, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto the king Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking the peace to all his seed. So Mordecai, no doubt, was indeed a great leader. He took necessary steps to sustain this celebration. Under Mordecai's guidance, the king's finances were strengthened. Each land had a tribute tax placed upon them, and this tribute tax was no doubt to replenish the treasury that was deplenished uh, during the Greek wars to sustain the king's luxurious lifestyle. So now that there was peace in the kingdom, the Jews were free uh, to prosper. They were free to go about uh, their lives, and they had peace with the king who had chosen Esther as his queen and Mordecai as his second in command. And through all of the trial and triumph, Mordecai was the key in saving the king's life twice. He was key in saving the king's life twice. And first, Mordecai saved the king from the assassination attempt. And second, he saved the king and Persia from judgment of God for attempting to destroy destroy the Jews. So Mordecai was always looking out for the king. He was a humble man, unlike that of Haman. He was not boastful when promoted. He simply obeyed God and he followed the Lord's leading in his life. He allowed God to bring reward in his way. After all, God is actually the one who controls promotion and honor. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 25.6 and 7 says, Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince, whom thine eyes have seen. So a leader is established. Mordecai is a great leader. He has the, the attention of the king. The king has, his, he has the favor of the king. Not only that, but leadership is effective. Mordecai's decree was sustainable because the Lord had established Mordecai as a leader. Notice also that godly traditions are sustained through effective leadership. Mordecai was an effective leader because according to our text, he sought the wealth of his people. Throughout the Bible, we see that God blesses those who bless his people, but he curses those who curse them. Genesis 12, 3 tells us this, And I will bless them that bless thee, speaking of the nation of Israel, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So in addition to seeking the welfare of the Israelites, Mordecai sought peace for them as well. Through the defeat of Haman's evil intentions, the whole empire entered a period of peace and well-being. Many leaders today consistently fail in bringing peace. They seek to bring peace and safety and sometimes refusing to prosecute criminals. Boy, we see that more and more in our society. These leaders would do well to take a page from Mordecai's 
playbook <laughs> and recognize that effectiveness as a leader includes bringing peace, not turmoil. Following the Lord, seeking His leadership, and trusting that the Lord can guide better than anyone else. So as we conclude this series, uh, we must consider what God has done here and, and, and how we as Gentiles can, can draw some insight here into how we should conduct ourselves and how we should uh, view God in our lives. While most of us are Gentiles and we do not celebrate this Feast of Purim, we do have something we can celebrate. And we can celebrate the deliverance that God has given us in our salvation. And although we don't necessarily keep this Feast of Purim, we have been given a, a supper in the New Testament. <laughs> we as church members have the opportunity to, to partake in the Lord's Supper. And it's an ordinance from Christ for every local church to observe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. We have much to be grateful for. We have much to give honor and glory and praise to our Heavenly Father for sending Jesus Christ to be the payment for our sin. And we memorialize that. We remember it as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We remember the Lord giving of His body and shedding His blood for remission of our sins. So although we may not be Jewish, if you have been saved, you have been delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest deliverance that any man could ever experience. As we close this study, we need to take a few moments to consider these three questions. First one being this, can you remember when your peace with God was secured? When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Hopefully you can. It should be a memorable time when you experience God's deliverance. Secondly, what patterns of remembrance can you build into your regular routines? How can we daily praise God? I think daily we ought to praise God for our salvation. We ought to thank Him for the opportunity to live for Him, the opportunity to be a witness and a testimony of His goodness to the lost and dying around us. Thirdly, what biblical traditions can you hand down to your children? Those things that we see from the Word of God, those biblical truths that would cause us to establish a tradition that others might remember. The truths of the Word of God, those doctrines that He taught us from His Word. Times of celebration where God delivered you or give you, has given you a great victory in your life, those things are to be remembered. Maybe it was a, a medical victory, that of the physical realm. Maybe those spiritual victories that God has given you, given you victory over sin in your life that you've been battling. Or maybe as you've been praying for someone else to be saved, or maybe they've been going through a difficult time and you saw how God worked on their behalf. You remember those times. Celebrate God's goodness. 
vocalize it to those your families, those around you, that they might also be reminded of God's goodness. This is what uh, the book of Esther reminds us of, of God's faithfulness and His goodness to His people and delivering them from the wicked decree that was against them. But they, as they sought the Lord in fasting and prayer, they saw the Lord's great deliverance in their life. And we too serve the same God that delivered the Jews. Same God that delivered them wants to work in your life and wants to show Himself true to you. He's faithful. Will you serve Him? Will you honor Him with your life? What a great testimony we have from the book of Esther. Might we remember those things that God has done? Father, we're thankful today for your great deliverance. We're thankful for our salvation. We're thankful for Jesus Christ coming to die for our sins. And might we always be mindful of those things and be vocal about those things and be a testimony, not only a word, but also in our actions through the obedience that we have to your word. Father, I pray that we would be a living testimony of the goodness of God in our lives. Those that we come in contact with, it would be evident in our lives that we walk with you and that we talk with you and we fellowship with you. Father, I pray that you would just work this series of lessons in our heart as you see fit, that uh, we'd be reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness and your deliverance. Father, I pray now for the service to follow. Speak again to our hearts, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll meet right back in here at 1030.